Welcome to Think Global, Do Justice, a podcast for globally-minded disciples seeking God's justice, mercy, and shalom throughout the world. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to Think Global, Do Justice. I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me is my brother, Brandon Stiver. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for engaging in these really important conversations that we get to have. Today is no exception to that. But before we get to that, Brandon, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. You know, I, I, I feel a little bit like a Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or somebody, you know, we yeah. are, we're recording at night here, man. You know, this is I like, know. this is like a late night talk late show. Night. All of us. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Think global late night, whatever. <laughs> late, late, the late, late global podcast. Right. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good stuff. I, I, you know, I think we're, I, I'm like, not you, you're the, you're, you're a young buck, but I'm, I'm an old man. I'm like past the, past my bedtime, but this is great. I mean, you know, cause, uh, we just, you know, just finished recording, you know, some people, you know, secret sauce here. We did, we we're doing the intro after recording. Great interview coming your way folks. And, um, I'm so glad that, uh, I stayed up past my bedtime to, to be a part of it because we're, we're interviewing, um, someone that no doubt you guys are going to, you're going to love before we get into that, uh, Brandon, you got something you want to yeah. kind of mention well, I that's mean, going on we, soon. It, it, we, we don't just stay up late for just anyone, but we do stay up late yeah. when we both live on the West coast and are recording with somebody in the Pacific and yeah. East Asia. So, uh, and speaking of which, when this releases, many of our friends and colleagues will, uh, be en route or already arrived in thailand for yeah. the world without orphans forum so so many friends and uh trusted colleagues at wwo uh it's going to be a great uh forum no doubt you've been before i've never been i yeah i i, I have not i would love to i have people say are you going are you going i can't go uh yeah. but how have you found wwo in the past absolutely loved it i'm so bummed i can't go i actually was signed up to go um, with obvious family things with my dad having the stroke and, and other things going on. My daughter's actually graduating from her YWAM, um, DTS and, and outreach in, in Atlanta it just so happens the same time as the, the CAFO, um, CEO strategy, soul and strategy retreat, which is just amazing timing. And so being able to do that. And, um, so just the timing didn't work this time. And I'm, but I'm, I, you know, as you know, Brandon, I have serious FOMO. So I'm going to, I am going to be FOMOing quite a bit when all my brothers and sisters are over there, especially since I can picture it, I know what they're doing and I'm just bummed. I can't be there to, um, just sit down and have great conversations, um, learn a ton, be there with my, like I said, just really good friends. And, and several of those good friends I made there. I remember meeting Mick Peace in the lobby of the Empress yeah. Hotel in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and we immediately hit it off. He was the first interview for this podcast, in fact. Not the first episode, the first interview. And, um, and it started there in 2015. And and I will say Mick is a really good friend. I hope he considers me the same. Um, and and so just to to be able to meet people there, as I was talking recently, um, 
it's it's a lot more practitioner uh, based, and it and it's and it's truly international. It's truly people from all over the world. Carmen and Lubo, and Susan and the rest of the world without orphans team do such a phenomenal job pulling people together, yeah. and making it a place that is really, um, it's just really down to earth. Nobody is a star of the show. Nobody is, you know going in there's no green rooms there's no this there's no like special vip packages or whatever no it's just you go and you're there connecting with people as peers and as you know brothers and sisters in christ trying to figure out how we can you know bring a little shalom to the communities we're in you know so i i am super grateful for the wwo team and just their humility and um desire to really bring people together to to do great work together so yeah i love uh, it man if you're uh, maybe the next time if you're on this going oh my gosh i wish i would have gone yeah put it on your calendar for you know i think it's every three years if i'm not mistaken they've been talking about you know changing that or just doing regional gatherings things like that but um, i really hope they keep them going because it really is a a value of, of great value i think i love it man no there's so much there's so much value in those in those convening times and getting equipped and getting connected to your people so uh shout out to all of our friends in thailand and you know given that wwo is uh going to be the week of this release we figured hey why not have a conversation on orphan care i, I you know i think most of our listeners have heard us talk about global Christian orphan care a time or two. So uh, we're going to be jumping back into our favorite topic. And uh, we have somebody who will be at WWO in Thailand uh, at the forum. Uh, We have Krina Henson joining the show. She is with Generations Home in the Philippines. And we have just a great uh, conversation. You guys are going to glean so much from Krina and her experience. I learned something I feel like I'm always learning whenever we have these conversations, but um, she's just such a, such a humble leader uh, leading such an important work in, in a country that, you know, like a lot of these contexts that we're talking about, whether we're talking about orphan care or talking about other spaces, there is a need for development. There's a need for service delivery. There's a need for all these things. And generations home is really doing a fantastic job uh, meeting the needs of uh, vulnerable children and vulnerable families and uh, promoting foster care adoption support for uh unwed mothers and 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 pregnancy support and like they're just doing so much work it's it's really remarkable so uh without further ado uh let's jump into this conversation that phil and i are able to have with krina henson well krina henson how are you doing doing great really great to be talking to you guys today thanks for having me yeah, of course. So excited to have you on the show and looking forward to just having a great conversation and, um, you know, for myself, learning about you. We, we've unfortunately have never been able to meet outside of this. So I look forward to that day that we're able to do that. But until then, we're going to just have to be able to just have a great conversation today and no doubt that will happen. And as usual, we just like to just start by you introducing yourself um, to our audience and just really how God led you into the global nonprofit space and caring for vulnerable children. Well, that's, um, well, you're right. I, I wish we had met. Um, got to meet Brandon at KFO and um, have been a huge fan of the podcast for many, many years now. It's been absolutely instrumental in shaping the work that we're doing in the Philippines today. So thank you for that. Awesome. Um, 
My name is Karina Henson. Um, I currently serve as the executive director for a nonprofit organization in the Philippines called Generations Home. We are based out of Metro Manila, and we are one out of just four domestic adoption agencies in the country. And so, you know, we, we've done a lot of work. The Philippines has done a lot of work in inter-country adoption uh, over the course of many years now, but not a ton in domestic adoption. And our heart was really to see the local church and the community um, understand God's heart for the vulnerable. And so I started this work um, with the help of the organization that I was previously working with um, about seven years ago now. And it's just taken off. It's been an incredible journey. Um, and just kind of seeing how God has led us to this place is, um, is just really, it's just really wonderful to see what's happened in the last few years. So that is awesome. That's awesome. And first of all, I just want to say, you know, Brandon's the better of the two to be able to meet. So the good thing you got to meet him (laughs) in person. So, um, uh, that's very sweet of you, Phil. Is that a dig at yourself or are you just uh, buttering me up for something? No, you're just that amazing, Brandon. (laughs) I mean, I'm okay but, to me. I'm that's like all right. It's cool. I mean, it's fine. But you know, you know, get to meet you and that that like beard. It's just strong. <laughs> just strong. So um no, but in all seriousness, um I, I'm just always humbled by to hear that, you know, it's encouraging to hear that the the podcast is is making an impact. And that's what we love to hear. And it's why we keep doing it, you know, is to be able to just uh, encourage others to just walk alongside, you know, from afar. But that, that's that's really cool. Love to love to hear that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, I I, uh, I I just can't wait to hear more and more about it. But before we get into kind of the the nuts and bolts, kind of the the meat, so to speak, um, just also love to hear from you. A question we always like to ask at the beginning of the episode, in addition to just getting to know you a little bit. But why do you think it's important for Christians? to not only think about their own family and community, but consider the needs of people globally? Well, I guess I could share a little bit of a story around that and kind of connected to the, the prior question of how did how did I encounter God's heart for the vulnerable and for the community and what God was doing outside of my own little bubble that I was living in? Um, you know, my husband and I, we were based in Singapore for many years. I'm professionally, I actually have no experience or training in social welfare or developmental work leading up to the starting of this organization. I'm a producer by profession and I had been doing that. I'd been working in media for many years and my husband and I were expecting our first child based in Singapore, had some complications in my pregnancy and found ourselves rushed back to the Philippines. It was just going to be we wouldn't have been able to afford the healthcare in Singapore being foreigners. And it was just, it was complicated. And we did all we knew how to do, which was to run back to family and say, you know, if anything happens, we want to be around family. Um, shortly after that, we actually lost our first daughter. Um, she was stillborn at 27 weeks. And it started a journey of God taking our own brokenness and pain and meeting us in just one of the darkest seasons of our lives. Um, I remember very distinctly those first few moments of God kind of imparting his heart for the vulnerable to me. I was, it was Mother's Day about a month after I had lost um, our daughter. And I just kept playing back in my head that moment that the doctors came in and they let me hold her for a little bit. Then they came in to take her away. And I sat there and I was in tears and I said, God, you know, I've held her and now my arms are empty. 
And so over the course of that month, I just kept saying, God, I don't understand why you would make me a mother and then empty my arms. It just seems so unnatural. Mm-hmm. And it was Mother's Day. My husband and I were arguing about whether or not I should go to church that Sunday. Um, I knew what was going to happen. If you go to any yeah. Christian church on a Sunday on Mother's Day, they're going to get all the moms to stand up. There might be flowers. Mm-hmm. They're going to say a prayer for the moms. They're going to honor. It's yeah. beautiful. But I just knew that was going to be painful for me. Mm-hmm. And my husband said, no, I really think you should go to church today. And I did. I sat at the back. I kind of had my head down and all the mothers stood up to be prayed for and flowers went out and I sobbed in my seat and I, and I just uttered to God. I said, God, I don't know why my arms are empty. And one of the clearest things I've ever heard God speak to me is he said, Karina, your arms are not empty. Your arms are available. And Mm. just got this picture of an orphanage that I had seen in my high school days. Um, In the Philippines, you visit orphanages a lot. You visit children's homes a lot. And it was just a room full of cribs. And and it kind of jolted me out of my grief. And the grief that I had for one jolted me out of my personal grief, but kind of imparted to me the heartbreak that God feels for the millions of vulnerable children that we have in our country. And I realized I had been desensitized living away from the Philippines for so long. And I was back in my own country and I was seeing the brokenness and the poverty and the pain. And I realized I had been stuck in my little bubble for so long, Um, but there was so much around me and so much that God wanted to do through our family um, outside of just that little bubble that we were in. And it's almost like it clicked for me for the very first time that, you know, it's not just about us and that that precious baby that I held in my arms and I grieved over is just as precious to our Heavenly Father as every other child sitting in a children's home today, you know, desperate and longing to be loved by a mother. And I was there with the capacity to hold one, with the capacity to love and And so, you know, that's kind of where my personal journey started. And that's what really was my wake up call to say, I've lived my entire life as a Christian and this never clicked for me. Um, Mm, It took this kind of brokenness and personal pain to get to that place. Yeah. Yeah. This is such deeply intimate work uh, that we're all in. And especially for those of us that are working in the orphan care and adoption space, Um, (laughs) there's always a personal story that... Uh, somehow when God gives us the opportunity to also work in this space professionally, uh, it, it just kind of makes it all the more sensitive. But but for you, it started with that personal family journey. And, and now, you know, God's using it to impact so many other children and families, you know, in the Philippines. And, you know, I would love, you know, obviously orphan care has been the primary uh, topic and conversation that we've been having over the years. And we just continue to learn more and more things. And I'm trying to like, think about the Philippines. Like I've consulted on it for a couple, you know, small things in the Philippines, but it's just such a, it's just such a fascinating uh, context in which to serve. And you're right there in Manila, you know, I would love if maybe we could even just kind of start. So like you and your husband have 
this personal story and now you're with generations home and you're impacting and you're doing all this, all this and stuff, but, but the need is huge. Can you, can we just start off by you even kind of giving us an overview of kind of orphanhood, childhood vulnerability in the Philippines? I mean, as I was going through your guys' website, you know, um, you know, being familiar with you and, and, and uh, another staff member, Daniel, and, you know, there, there are some stark descriptions on childhood vulnerability from your guys' site that was like, oh my gosh, okay, so 11.4 million kids in poverty, 1.8 million orphans, 29 uh, million, oh, sorry, that's 11.4, oh, oh shoot, I had a typo in my notes. Is that 29 million experiencing violence of some type? Yes, Is that right? violence, it's violence. Yeah, so, I mean, what are some of the, what what's, Tell us about the landscape and and what are some of the primary causes of these different adversities that you guys are that, that you guys are seeing among children there? Right. So you 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 mentioned the 1.8 million um, orphans, and that's probably the most widely used statistic when it comes to looking up you know what OVC is like in the Philippines. Um, that's a study done by UNICEF where they really did you know orphan by definition of an orphan having lost two parents to parental death. Um, but we know that there's a lot more when it comes to accounting for children that are vulnerable and in right. need of a safe, loving family. That number is actually closer to 7 million. And so when you think about that and the magnitude of that, and then all the other interconnected issues like poverty and the 11 million in poverty and violence and and then you're even looking at things like OSEC, the online sexual exploitation of children, which is now a, a problem of national concern because the Philippines gets eight times more hits on child pornographic material than any any country in the world. Um, at any given time, we're getting eight times more hits. And that's deeply concerning. It's very much connected to the orphan crisis in our country because you you see a lot of vulnerable kids and they're they're being sold into sex slavery um, and just the rise of the digital world has hastened that so much. Um, you'll see that even in some of the poorest communities, they have fabulous internet connection and satellite dishes, and it makes you wonder why that's happening. And it's typically OSEC related and, and related to this issue. And it's, it's deeply heartbreaking. Our work started um, in this area because we found that there were a lot of women who, when they heard about kind of us looking into the the situation around orphan and vulnerable kids, there are a lot of women who were coming and kind of sending us messages saying like, hey, I have a baby. Um, how much would you buy our baby for? And, you know, I thought that was very strange, um, but we didn't realize how common it was. Um, that there are Facebook pages. It's not happening on the dark web. It's happening on social media platforms. It's on Facebook. It's on um, messaging platforms like WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger and things like that. And and there are transactions happening. We've met families that would come to us and say, you know, I met this girl on Facebook on this beautiful baby girl adoption page, you know, and and you have these strange tags describing physical features of children on Facebook and 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 birth parents and potential, some of them well-meaning, some of them with ill intention, but all on the same platforms negotiating over the lives of these children. And so you have these statistics, and as overwhelming as they are, I mean, you you hear the stories and 
it's it's shaking. Um, it's hard. It was hard for me to believe that a lot of the that there were kids being trafficked down the street from where I live. I lived in this in the central business district, right right, right in the city center of Metro Manila, and just down the street from where I lived. Um, we met this woman who had sold four out of her five children for drug money and into sex slavery. And it was deeply disturbing. And it was coming to the place of, you know, these are no longer statistics. These are stories that we were getting firsthand and we were actually encountering some of these people, some of these women in very, very desperate situations. And, you know, just in line with that story, that actually became the start of our program for pregnant women in crisis, where we realized that in the Philippines, unlike places like in the United States where a birth mom could make an adoption plan, that's not something that was common practice here. And so if you're dealing with poverty, it's quick to judge and say, why would you sell your child? But if you're dealing with these, they were already involved in prostitution. They were already in slavery themselves. And it just seemed like best option at that time. And so our, our, our program for pregnant women in crisis is really sought out to help these women prevent orphanhood, preserve their families, see what we can do to keep them together so that that child doesn't get orphaned in the first place. Yeah, no, that's so good. And I mean, man, you hit on so many things. I mean, even at, on the exploitation front, like you were talking about and just the whole OSEC space and, and, I, I, I'm, it makes me like wonder, like, why is this so common in the Philippines? So, um, I, I remember being in college and, um, big into hip hop. One of my favorite groups was a group called the Procussions. And one of the MCs from this group had a song called Constance. I don't, this is like kind of a, like an obscure song, but it was all about, it was, it, it was like a Christian group. They're loosely Christian nowadays, but, um, but it was all about the exploitation of this girl in the Philippines. And it was just like, I'll I'll put it in the show notes. You guys should check it out. It's like 16 years old now. I just pulled it up on YouTube as you were talking, but, um, it, uh, it it just, it's just jarring. It's just jarring. And, and the things that you're sharing are so jarring. And, and in many ways it really kind of shows, uh, again, the thing that we always say, the interconnectedness. So we have orphanhood and childhood vulnerability, trafficking, poverty, um, you know, the, the, even, even the, even the, um, connections globally, right. We're talking about, if we're talking about online exploitation, that means there's consumers in other countries, right. That are, that are, that are accessing that. And it also means that there's exploitative people on the ground that are, that are creating those, you know, those materials. And it's just, it's, it's so heavy and it's so disheartening and, um, you know, and really, I mean, we need, organizations like Generations Home that can start to fill the gap to try and, you know, mitigate some of these vulnerabilities and so forth. And, you know, you mentioned being in Manila, um, which a lot of tourism, and because of that, there's a lot of orphanages. I mean, even as you were talking earlier, you said it was common for people to visit orphanages. Right. That, that, that's one of the funny things for us Americans, where it's like, we'll go to somewhere like Manila, or like East Africa, or like the Caribbean, or whatever, and we'll visit orphanages, but we don't do that domestically. You're not allowed to. But you're saying that even that's common among the locals. So maybe can you just kind of describe the environment um, and then share, you know, you guys aren't doing an orphanage. You guys are very family focused. So what does it look like to kind of start a social movement 
that is explicitly family focused in an environment that's, you know, where orphanages are so ubiquitous. Right. Well, it hasn't been easy. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, kind of advocacy work that's had to come around, you know, the, the serving and the ministering that we do just to help people understand this new approach. But when you look at our history, I mean, we're a deeply, our, the, the history of our country of the Philippines is deep in Catholic roots. And we're, there's a missionary around every corner that set up, you know, another orphanage or another children's home. And so growing up, if you went to a, a Catholic or a Christian school, you were probably made to do a number of outreach programs and kind of be exposed to the poverty around you. If you were privileged enough to attend a private school or, you know, grew up in a middle to upper income um, family, these are things that culturally would have been expected of you so that you would be made aware of the realities of our country outside of the comforts that you live, right? And your parents would want you to know, you know, and see and be in touch with what's happening outside the comforts of your own home. And so- Does that come across a little exploitative as well to you? You know what? It does now. It didn't back then. Right. Because um, we would we would get people that would come over on short-term missions trips to Tanzania and they would be like, well, we want it. And they would like bring their kids and they're like, we really want to see our kids um, like see what poverty looks like or see what orphanhood looks like so that they'll be thankful for right. what they have. And I'm just like, that is so smarmy. Like that's just ugh. like uh, if, if you can't teach your kids to be grateful don't don't use these kids over here that are having a tough time. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Sorry, maybe that's just me, but but it's just interesting. Yeah, well, I think it's just it's just been so accepted culturally and there haven't been any other alternatives to helping your family like how what how else would you teach your family to be mindful of what's happening in the community if you don't kind of take them there and expose them and show them and and so you know it it was common practice and so every Filipino who went to a private school or was educated in a private school system, probably did have to visit a children's home or an orphanage a few times in their life. And so today, one of the things that we battle is one of the inquiries that we get a lot on our Facebook page and our platforms is like, hey, could you help us set up a birthday party at an orphanage for our child? Because we want our child to celebrate their birthday at an orphanage so that they can give back. And um, we've had to really sit down and these are well-meaning people, um, kind of had to watch how we respond to this because at first we're like, oh no, absolutely not. Um, but also taking that as an opportunity to educate and provide alternatives because at the heart of it, they want to do something. It's just, nobody's really shown them or modeled how to do it well, how to do it in a way that's healthy and beneficial for both their families and, um, the, the, the kids that we're serving. And so, you know, I said, you know, if you can find a way to make that birthday party not be about your child, <laughs> then maybe maybe we can work something out. But if not, then I would recommend you celebrate your birthday party and let's think of other ways that you could serve or give back or get involved with what God's doing in this particular children's home or orphanage. But I don't think that's the healthiest way to do that. So it's been a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, but we get that question all the time because it's just the only way people know how to serve. Um, they just think, I'm going to go and bring, I don't know if you guys have heard of Jollibee. It's huge here. It's like our own version of McDonald's. It's kind of got like these old, it's like a huge fast food chain. And 
everybody's idea of serving the vulnerable and serving the orphan is bringing Jollibee to these orphanages so that they can have like a, a little fast food meal to celebrate. But what we found out was that when you ask these, these children's homes, these orphanages, like, hey, a family wants to book some time with the kids, they'll be like, oh, well, you can come between three and four because we have a nine to 11 and an 11 to two. And, and then we have a four to six. So you have this like, and so it's the fourth time that day that these poor children are having Jollibee and being oh expected gosh. to dance and perform. And it's, it's terrible. Um, yeah. But if you try to understand our context and the culture behind it, it's, it's also knowing that um, I think the church and the community hasn't been given the opportunity to, know enough, um, understand enough, um, the harm that it does, the implications that that has on the kids and, and alternatives. We need alternatives. How else can right. we get them exposed and understand God's heart for the vulnerable? Uh, that's really fascinating. And, and I've heard the birthday thing before, but what you're describing, it, it reminds me of our conversation with Mac our Archer last year, just in terms of kind of those dynamics and you know what what are we asking the kids that emotional work that we talked about you know to kind of like okay now get up for another one okay now get up for another one okay right. now get up for another one and you know cramming filipino mcdonald's like that that just i don't know i was gonna make me sick i don't know if i could do that yeah. um tell me tell me a little bit about the cross-cultural stuff as well i mean because you guys are getting tourists that go through there as well i mean what does that dynamic look like i mean this domestic piece is really fascinating what about kind of some of that cross-cultural as well, especially being in such a big city like Manila? I think the cross-cultural um, missions work that happens um, is actually done. They're a lot more informed of best practices around how do we do short-term mission, short missions healthily? How do we do that in a way that's honoring and respectful of the people that we're coming to serve? And um, you know, if, if somebody comes to us and says, would you help us sort that out? We're very happy to be a part of ju that just so that we can kind of manage and and mediate that relationship. Um, but I find that, you know, people coming out of the U.S. and Europe and Australia, they're, they're a lot more aware of the vulnerabilities at hand and what how that affects children. They're also not there to kind of really get anything out of it. Um, most most um, teams that come are here really to learn and to see and figure out what are the needs on the ground so that they can serve when they get back home and not necessarily meet all those needs while they're here, you know, for that visit. So is that, is that more for teams that you guys work with or just in general? I think in general, it's been getting better. Okay. Yeah. That's so good. it's been getting better. Um, it hasn't There's always God. been that way, but <laughs> yeah, it's getting there. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a moment to personally invite you to join me at the first ever Care Portal Conference in Kansas City from April 22nd to 24th. You've heard me talk about Care Portal on the show and it is absolutely revolutionizing child welfare in cities and states throughout the country. Whether you have used the Care Portal platform before or you're interested in learning more about this innovative care sharing technology, the Care Portal Conference is a great place to start. Speakers at the conference include past guests of our podcast, including Care Portal founder Adrian Lewis, family advocate and trainer Ryan North, and a personal favorite of mine, author and entrepreneur Andy Crouch. If you have a passion for work at the cross-sections of community development, child welfare, and technology, there's no better place to go than the Care Portal Conference. Check the link in our show notes, and I hope to see you there.
I think all of it goes to, you know, even talking, as you said, about, well, you know, they go in and they say these different things, whether it's, you know, we want to show our kids that, you know, they're how fortunate they are or whatever, like anything else. I think you hit it on the head, Karina. It's like how they do what they do and they know what they know because it's what they've done and it's what they've known. Right. And so that's what it's, it's our job. I believe with podcasts like this, with training up churches, with going in and, and helping people understand here's why it isn't the best thing. Here's why it's not. And just think of, I think the mo the more we can put it in the context of if someone came to your house and did whatever you're doing here, would that be weird? You know, yeah. and when you ask that question about most things we do as the church around the world, the answer would be yes. You know, if someone came into your house and said, I want to take pictures with your kids, you'd be like, okay, that's kind of, it's kind of creepy. Like not kind of, it's totally creepy. And the answer is no, you're not taking pictures with my kid and putting them on the internet. Um, you know, and you know, all these different things. And I, I remember you talking about that exploitation. We interviewed Krista Sharp with IJM back on uh, right. episode 36, talking about that in the Philippines and, and, um, believe it, I'm pretty sure 90% sure it was in the Philippines, but, um, and that goes deep into what, you know, we talked a little bit about earlier and, and what IJM has been doing. Fascinating. I mean, it's, it's just, it's tragic. It's, there's so many, there's so many overlapping issues that we obviously don't have the time to go into as a whole semester of, of conversation. Um, but I just look back at it and go, there's so much of it's education. So much of it is saying, how can we help people understand these things? And I, I look at it like with my kids, when we moved to Honduras for seven weeks and, and to be able to say, Hey, you know, these are kids just like you're a kid. Let's go hang out. Great. And they have hopes, dreams, fears, just like you do. They're, they're kids. Let's go and get to know Jair, get to know, you know, these different guys, you know, like let's, let's just go hang out. And and that's what we did. And it was great, you know, and, and there were kids that were hanging out with other kids and we were adults hanging out with friends, you know, that became family, you know, and that's, that's something that when you see it like that, um, you know, it's, it's very different and you go into it with just totally different eyes. And then you, you know, the kids are able to come back to wherever they live, whether the kids in Honduras, you know, you give them that understanding that, oh yeah, they're just kids too. It's not like whatever they might have more stuff, but it's just stuff. Um, cleaning out my dad's garage right now. And there's stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff, but that's not what makes you happy. You know, it's like, get rid of all that stuff and let's just hang out, you know? So I just look at all that and I, I don't know, I just love hearing that conversation because I think that's something that I've seen over the years in so many different parts of the world. And, you know, me going on my own and even seeing on the other side, them just assuming, oh, I'm coming here. Let's do a song and dance for him. So he'll give us right. money. And, you know, on both sides, kind of, we need to help understand that that's not good on that side. And then on our side here to, you know, don't encourage that. <laughs> like, don't encourage the behavior. Right. So anyway, any thoughts on all that? Well, I just think that absolutely. And I think that, you know, we've had to learn how to be a lot more gracious, um, with the community around us because it's easy for me. I was born in the U.S. I grew up there for a big chunk of my life and kind of to come in and assume that there's just a certain way we need to do things and that, you know, it's coming from a bad place. But actually a lot of, even a lot of our illegal adoptions and what would be considered as a trafficking case, if you look at it, some of them are done by pastors and missionaries. And these are not people who set out to do this with bad intentions. This was right. somebody with good intentions trying to do what they thought was the best thing they could do at that time. And so 
we've had to really be humble when we come into these conversations and have open eyes and know what we know are best practices and what's best for these kids and doing what's right. But at the same time, also hearing the other side and then trying to see how can we serve you so that you can figure out what God's calling you to do and how you can respond to that tug in your own heart to respond yeah, to the vulnerable. Exactly. Because they did yep. that out of a tug in their heart to do totally. something that they felt God was leading them into. They just didn't have enough information. They just didn't have enough right. education to do what we know would have been the right thing. And right. so and when it comes to working with the church, when it comes to working um, with the families that we serve, um, you'll find that not everybody was a child trafficker or a pedophile or whatever. It was a lot of really good, well-meaning people that love Jesus mixed into that, trying That's to right. do the right thing, but didn't know how to do it. Um, yeah. and, well, so, and some of the things are like intentionally hidden from them. That's the whole thing. Like right. I, you mentioned international adoption. It's like, I remember even working at a, at a foster family agency in California where it was like, I remember sitting down with this one family and they're like, yeah, we want to explore other things because we've been in this adoption process with Haiti for so long. And I'm just thinking like, man, there's been so much trafficking out of Haiti, but they don't know that. You know what I mean? And it wasn't my job to be like, well, just so you know, you know, because the reality is it's kind of like, well, they're talking to these people that are in another office and then they're talking to somebody in a different office. And then they're the ones that have a contact in Haiti. But then that contact in Haiti has like these people. And it's just like there creates this whole line. So like, yeah, there's corruption. And but but the people often that are bringing kids in internationally, they have no idea. And how would they know? Because they just know whatever they're being told. And even the person that they're hearing it from, they may not even know that, you know, that there's corruption, you know, on the ground. So it, it it's just right. a really challenging situation and, and a messed up system, to be honest. But Yeah, but yeah. I think what's really comforting about that is, you know, some sometimes um, you'll see families and they're doing great and these kids are loved and they're in, and God has a way of sometimes redeeming all of that. Yes. There's all that corruption mm -hmm. and all of this like red tape around the system and you're navigating and there's so, so many things that went wrong. Um, but at the end of it, um, we're really happy. There's, there's a law currently in the Philippines, um, for simulated birth certificates because it's, it's an amnesty that allows you to, if you had, um, forged your name on a birth certificate, um, because you were trying to adopt a child, which is common practice here, like hospitals will, if there's a baby left behind in a hospital, you would have people in the hospital call who, someone they might think is a potential family and say, would you like me to put your name on the birth certificate? And families not knowing that that wasn't the proper adoption process might have done that. And so there's a law now that I think there's another six years, they've given a 10-year amnesty that if you did, if you're one of those families that found yourself in that position, didn't know that it wasn't the right thing and tried to take a child through adoption that way by, you know, good intentions. Um, the government's willing to kind of not penalize you for that and yeah. help you legalize that adoption process. And so as an agency, we get to work with families like that, that come to us and they're like, we had no idea, you know, but our heart was pure. Our intentions were pure. We just, we just didn't know. Yeah. No. no, and that's just it. You know, we don't want to discourage the people who are passionate to love and care for the orphan and the vulnerable, right? You know, it's like, you know, I coach soccer. I'm like, you never want to coach the aggressive out of somebody, right? You want to hone it, right? And in the same way, like, we want to hone this passion that these people have and to be able to come alongside and say, hey, you know, like, we know you care about this and we know, and because you do, 
let's have this conversation about how we can help you love them well and how you can help in the community, how you can do this properly, how, you know, and so there's so many conversations around that. Um, and, you know, you mentioned this, the, the, you know, the adoption, domestic adoption, um, uh, in the Philippines and among the services you provide the adoption, you do foster care. Um, how do those models, family models fit in culturally, uh, in the Philippines? Is it, is all the alternative fair common? Is it new? Like what, what's the, what's what's it look like on the landscape of, in the Philippines? Well, you know, when you look at our numbers around fostering, I mean, we're not even making a dent. We're not even scratching the surface in terms of being able to mm-hmm. to raise up and prepare enough foster families. The needs are enormous and we're nowhere close to being able to meet those needs, um, which is why children's homes and orphanages are still a very necessary part of the system. There are no, there aren't many alternatives. Um, and so adoption typically wasn't done legally. And if it was done legally, very seldom would it be something that was celebrated. It would be something that would be covered up and hidden. And they'll try to match you to a child that looks as much like you as possible so that nobody would ever know that, you know, this child was adopted. And and you'll have practices like that that still happen today sometimes um, in an attempt to kind of create a healthy environment for the child, not really not realizing it's not really about that. Um, But, you know, you have practices like that. And then you have a lot of families that do want to adopt, but they just want to adopt babies. So the intention behind the the adoption or wanting to do that is really a little bit more still focused on we want a child for our family versus we want to give our family to a child and welcome a child through adoption for that purpose. Um, but we're doing that. We're working really closely with church communities, trying to change that and trying to change the motivation behind adoption. When it comes to fostering, the thing that's really interesting about that is that when you ask um, any Filipino if their family's fostered, they would say no. Um, but the reality is they've taken in a cousin or they've taken in mm-hmm. some neighbor's child who needed help. And Culturally, we do this. Filipinos are hospitable. Filipinos care about family. Filipinos care about taking care of your neighbor and taking care of, you know, your fellow man. And so they do it informally. Um, The problem is, you know, there are a lot of great people that do it, but there are also a lot of people who shouldn't be taking in kids and, um, and the safety of kids is, is, is at risk there. And so needing to license that and still go through the process. And so, our approach is that we let people know um, that actually, you, you know what, you have been fostering. And if that's something you would have ever wanted to do in a more formal capacity to really be able to serve um, a child in need, and then then we could help you do that by getting you licensed to do that in a more formal capacity. Um, yeah. Filipinos will typically say, yeah, I would adopt. You know, if somebody like dropped a child off, I would, ad-. I'm like, well, <laughs> That's not really how it works. Um, It requires action on our part. And if we did want to adopt, if we did want to open our home, then the ball's in our court and not in some vulnerable child's court sitting in a children's home today. They can't will themselves to be adopted. (laughs) You know, Um, we really need to move on their behalf. So, yeah. So at the heart of it, yes. But I guess, you know, kind of understanding what that looks like and understanding the technicalities of adoption and fostering and all of that is something fairly new. I think we've only had foster care in the Philippines for something like 15 years. Um, And even at that, it's still something that people are starting to understand 
um, what that really means. Yeah, you know, and that's something I it's it's not unique to Philippines, that story, you know, right. you hear it in a lot of different countries, you know, the people, they're very hospitable, they take in the different people, but the idea of fostering, I think part of it is a lot of people are wary of the government in a lot of these countries, they don't want to get, they don't want to get associated with the government in any way, they don't trust the government, they, they feel that the government's, right. you know, going to do something or control them or this or that or the other thing right and and you know a lot of time in all fairness a lot of times the, the government does muck things up you know and so when it comes to taking in a cousin when it comes to taking in your nephew or your niece or whatever um that's different right you know and so for a lot of people it's to get over that hump and then for government to not have too many um unnecessary hoops you have to jump through as right. well there's so many moving parts but you got to have the protections but you got to you know so and you can't make it too much of a financial incentive for, for people that will then only do <laughs> yeah. it for that but if you don't have enough then that's not so it's like especially in poor countries to get people to do it so there's so many moving parts and that's the thing about foster care that people are just like oh well, let's just do foster care it's like well you can't just do foster care i mean there's so many levels of it and layers of it and there's it's just it's not as simple as that and then when you do it it's exhausting and tiring. And so to not have the wraparound care with it, as we found with like, you know, foster the Bay, foster the city here in the California area, you know, it's not perfect either, but you know, to see what they're doing, the wraparound care, but that's a lot of work and that's a lot of, you know, stuff. So you got all these different, different pieces that we've talked about on this show. And otherwise, um, in most of the countries, you know, that we were talking about just don't have that, um, in place. And so to get that going is so difficult. And that's why, um, a big reason why we, we live most, most countries have the same story, which is we just don't have enough families. I mean, I think all countries probably do the U S does. I know and if the U S does, then most countries are going to have that same conversation. So I think it's, it's really does church has a huge opportunity in that regard right. to be able to say, we can provide that wraparound care. We can provide foster families. Yes. But also, you know, we can provide that care. Um, and families within our churches to be able to, um, you know, agree to be that, to be the family to the families, right? And um, and so anyway, that's something that I I love hearing um, what you guys are doing, how you're encouraging that, and and just hearing stories of, from other people in different countries, like Ian Forber Pratt, who's been on the show a few times, hearing what he did in India, and just fighting for these things, right? And and that's what we need. It's just more people fighting and saying, you know what. It is good and right. And so let's see how we can fight for it. Right. So I love that. Um, anything to add to that? No, I was just going to say that, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the church because you mentioned kind of getting the local church involved in terms of yeah, um, families and stuff like that. And there's so much that the church could do um, in terms of being a family to the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this year, was, was great for me. I went to CAFO for the first time. It was my first time at CAFO. Um, so it was an incredible experience for me. And, um, I came back and I remember kind of feeling like, you know, we've been doing all these things with a, the local church and we do have some incredible churches that have opened their doors to us and they host adoption and foster care forums and kind of engaging them. But we realized that every time you announce like an adoption or a foster care forum, you get a handful of people coming because they don't really know they're interested in adopting or fostering. Mm -hmm. um, it's too far down for them. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it, they're not there yet. Um, and I came back from CAFO and I said, you know what? I feel like we just need to get people 
in the room where they would encounter God's heart for the vulnerable. Um, because I could tell them all about fostering and all about adoption and all about the heart of God and all about how this mirrors the gospel, but I feel like they need to hear it from God himself. And, um, we sat down with our team. I said, what if we did a worship night? You know, what if we just did like a worship and justice night? And one of the things that we got to do last year, and it was just incredible was, um, we hosted our very first worship and justice night. And it wasn't just a call to you know, the family that might want to be an adoptive parent or, you know, the couple that might want to be adoptive parents or the kind of thinking about fostering. It was a call to everybody um, to come and let's seek God and and come into a place of worship where we might be able to hear from God and have him tell us what his heart for the vulnerable is. And yeah. it, it was just incredible. And I thought, you know, these are the things that we need to be doing. We need to be helping the church get to that place of understanding and caring deeply enough about the orphan and vulnerable children in our communities. Because if we don't step in and do that, then they don't really know where, where they come in. It's like, I can't do this because that's not ethical. And then you don't want me to visit the children's home and, and we shouldn't be doing that. And so, and so what, right? Um, so I thought that was just a really incredible experience. And it's been one of the ways that we've been able to engage the church more intentionally is kind of like saying, you know, let's think through what else we could do together and almost like having to create things, um, that the church could safely be a part of, um, so that people would have the opportunity to encounter God's heart for the vulnerable, um, and kind of just having to think outside of the box for stuff like that. Well, that's a, that's a thing that I'd love to hear. And especially even like with like, okay, how do we engage the church? How do we help the church hear from God? How can we center these practices around like worship? And like, those, those are the things that we need. And and one of the things that takes place, and I know that this was the case in Tanzania and, you know, we can talk about like, um, in any context, the challenges for people to kind of internalize and think and, and really, um, understand ethical orphan care, the importance of family adoption, you know, whatever. The reality is if somebody has chosen to follow Christ and they are in the church and the spirit is moving in the church, Romans 8, God has not given us a spirit of, of fear, of bondage to fear, but a spirit of adoption of being made a son or a daughter. Like that's, that's the spirit that just comes. So, so even when we do have like, any cultural barriers or, or, or anything in any culture, in the U.S. culture, the Filipino culture, the Tanzanian culture, the Honduran culture, wherever, if we ever have those barriers, the reality is the spirit of adoption, the spirit of making one a son can overcome that, especially within the congregation. So I, I love that. Anytime we talk about mobilizing the church, I get so excited, grateful for ways that you guys are engaging the church in the Philippines. Um, you know, another thing that, that, I was kind of thinking about and just kind of the the genesis and the evolution of Generations Home. I mean, you guys were previously known as another organization. A lot of that just kind of came out of your guys' own background, your global partners. Um, you know, a lot of the listeners to our show have organizations or donor bases in Western countries, especially the U.S., but that's not how it was in terms of kind of how you guys were developed and, and you guys are headquartered in Asia um, and have had you know, a lot of your donors come from there as well. I mean, what are, wh- how do you kind of find that 
uh, space, you know, so I know you mentioned Singapore earlier. I know that that was significant for you guys. If you guys, um, for our listeners that are familiar with international development, um, there are countries in East and Southeast Asia that have really kind of gone through tremendous, uh, development and, and generation of wealth. Um, there were initially the four Asian tigers, which include, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and why am I, oh, South Korea. And now it's starting to, to spread in others. So you guys had a base in Singapore, you guys are based in the Philippines. Like what is what does that look like in terms of like being an Asian based organization and working with those donors? What does that look like? Yeah, well, I didn't really, I didn't, I honestly didn't realize that we were in such a unique position being funded out of Asia for at least for the most part and, you know, kind of raising our support independently. Um, we were really very fortunate that when I started the work here, we were previously known as Rohe Foundation. And that's because the organization that I was working for at that time um, was called Rohe. Um, they're a learning and consulting company, um, and based in Singapore. And I was actually in Manila setting up our corporate office when all of this happened. I had lost my baby and, you know, God was doing this deep work in my heart. And all of a sudden, you know, I felt this tug in my heart to really look into this space. And I remember sitting down with our CEO and telling her that I was just trying to store the relationship (laughs) and let her know that. God was shifting something in me and that I was here to set up this satellite office, but not really sure what's going to happen if God really takes this forward. And she was so gracious. Um, and she said, you know what? I've, I've always had a heart for the Philippines. And I feel like whatever we've set aside to set up that corporate office, um, that's kind of our gift to you to set up this work that um, you feel God's calling you to do in the Philippines. And that's our way as Singapore to sew in to what God is doing in the Philippines. And um, it, it was just um, so moving because you, you look at Singapore and Singapore now is one of the richest countries and they're doing very well, but they're also full of extremely generous people. Um, and a lot of people that really, really um, love God and love to be a part of what God is doing in the nations around them. And we just we just felt like kind of the community that we had in Singapore, we wanted that to be a part of what we were doing here. And that kind of happened organically. Um, we were just, it, it became more about the mission and less about where can we raise the most funds or where can we generate enough support to do what we want to do and more about how do we steward what God is giving us and what's coming in through some of these faithful givers and those that have come alongside us? And how do we be faithful with that? Because it might not just be about, um, you know, the, the dollars and cents, but about the advocates and about, you know, the, the larger community here in Asia, understanding and grasping the heart of God for vulnerable kids. And so it, it was really putting the advocacy at the forefront of what we were doing and saying there's value in that regardless of, you know, <laughs> what it comes down to financially for us as an organization. No, I love that so much. And, and you know, putting it, it's about mobilizing people on both fronts, right? You, you guys have these, you know, have, have worked with these partners in Singapore and, you know, they've sewed into this work and you're mobilizing the church in the Philippines and, you know, families are, are, are welcoming children. I mean, 
it, it's all about mobilization. It's all about support. It's all about, you know, developing. And, and, uh, I just, I just love so much of what you shared, Krina. I, and I, and I love this ministry that God has entrusted to you and your team. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable work. Um, you know, as we, uh, as we start to wrap up, um, we have this question that we're asking people and um, you've shared so much of your own personal story and how God brought you into care for orphan and vulnerable children and to promote uh, kids getting into families. Um, you know, for somebody else who's, who's has a, a similar heart, but maybe earlier on in their journey for someone that is pursuing God's heart, you know, of justice in the nations, what is one thing that you would recommend they do? Well, I think, you know, just off the top of my head, um, you know, just the power of our own brokenness and allowing how God has taken our own brokenness. We all have brokenness in our lives. It's not just, you know, the vulnerable children that we serve. We all carry a little bit of that. And being able to take that with us and just be faithful, you know, and say, God, I just want to be faithful. I stepped into this and I always say I'm the most unqualified um, social welfare professional there is because I had no background in this. Um, my background was in media and production, found myself in this space, leading an organization that was growing organically and developing partnerships with the government and being a part of crafting new laws around Philippine domestic adoption. And I thought nothing qualifies this qualifies me for this except for the journey that I've been on with God. And that that journey we went from brokenness and understanding his heart for the vulnerable and leaning into that and not being afraid of that and just being faithful. Um, we've never had to seek out partners. We've never had to seek out, you know, expansion or growth. Um, but in being faithful, you kind of see God expand your territory and and, and grow that world around you. So yeah, absolutely. Just be that is faithful. a good. That is a good word, and and a good word to finish on. Um, Krina, thank you so much for for coming on the show, and and uh, I, I just feel, you know, obviously we're never going to stop talking orphan care on this podcast. We've made some shifts, but it's always good to talk with people like you that are just uh, uh, on the front lines and leading such important work for you in the Philippines, others in other places. Uh, so, uh, thank you so much for for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And just, I, you know, I was coming into this, I said, I'm not real. I'm not typically nervous about podcast interviews, but I'm <laughs> such a fan that like, I just don't want it to go bad. So but well, thank you did. for having it, me. It didn't go bad. It went very well. And uh, your, your kind words are, 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 are much appreciated. So thank you so much. And, and thank you even more blush. so for it. For, I made Brandon blush if you could yeah, see. Yeah, I don't blush beard. under the beard. Maybe I do. I don't know. Um, but thank you so much, Karina. Uh, and uh, thank you to you and your team and the good work you guys are doing there in Manila. And uh, to our listeners, may Almighty God, who created us in his own image, grant us grace to fearlessly contend against evil and to make no peace with oppression, and that we may reverently use our freedom and employ it in the maintenance of justice in our communities and among the nations. To the glory of God's holy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. And we will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Thank you for joining us on Think Global, Do Justice. If you enjoyed the show, please do three things for us. One, rate and review us online. Two, share it with a friend. And three, 
Join us at canopy.international so you can plug into a community of disciples seeking God's justice, mercy, and shalom throughout the world. We'll talk to you soon.